you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, um, Lord, on this very first day of a new year. Lord, and um, some of us have hearts of anticipation and joy and excitement looking at the year, and some of us, our hearts are heavy and filled with question. And God, you are a God that meet us in whatever emotion, emotion or whatever um, feeling we're having, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you quiet our hearts and our minds. Um, Lord, have our hearts be focused and in tune <clears throat> with what you have for us this morning. We love you. Amen. Does anybody have their tree taken down? No? Okay. I wasn't going to, but I have a little funny story that happened last night. Um, I got these new organizer bins, and I feel I'm a nine on the Enneagram, but like there are parts of one that just come alive when organization happens, and so I was super excited to get these bins set up. And I thought, I'm just going to take the ornaments down and just kind of quiet my house because it looks like a bomb went off right now. So I put them all in there and was delighted with how they fit. And the tree was, you know, the lights and the warmth, and it just was so cozy. And I went in the kitchen and was making dinner, and Gabe has uh, over-the-door basketball hoop. He's on his fourth one because he, like, you know, dunks. And so that's always out. And so he's, like, always ricocheting off the walls or the chase or whatever. And so I hear him playing. And then Ellie joins in. And they are laughing. And they are having a great time. Um, Lou and her boyfriend were in the living room. And Emma was. And so we were just, like, hanging out. And all of a sudden, I hear a thud. And it's, like, dead quiet. And so I walked in there. And all five of their faces are staring at me, like, what is mom going to do? So anyway, I said, well, it's not ready to take the tree down, but I guess we'll take it down. So ours is down, and it kind of felt good, even though I'm a little sad. But So that has nothing to do with what I was talking about, but it was kind of funny. So a couple weeks ago, Brent shared with us that we get to walk through Genesis this year, and I'm really excited because we're going to do Genesis for about three or four or five weeks, a little mini-series, and then we're going to talk about a practice, so whether it's prayer or hearing from God or rest. And so I'm so excited for the deep dive into Genesis, but then having some of these really practical practices that we can put into our life and not just have a one sermon on it, but to do a series around it. So even though it would be a perfect day in the beginning, today's the beginning of a year, we are going to wait to start. And so I got to do a standalone sermon which is always so much fun because I have notes on my phone that have sermon ideas, and because we don't do too many standalones, um, those ideas, don't, I don't always get to use them. Um, and so I was just praying and just asking the Lord, like, what do you have for us as Harbor Life, as people, to start the year? Um, and so I started thinking about walking with the Spirit, um, and then I was kind of thinking about New Year's resolutions and habits, because we all kind of do that a little bit. Um, and then I remembered Anna and Simeon from Luke 2, and I thought, I don't really know a lot about those, those people. And so I read the story, and they all kind of tied together, which I thought was pretty cool of the Lord. So we're going to talk about Anna and Simeon. We're going to talk about walking with the Spirit and some practices that we can do. Will you turn with me to Luke 2? Um, and we'll start with verse 21. 
Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So the first thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus was born into a family that meticulously observed the law of Moses. Mary and Joseph were obedient Hebrew people who valued and observed the words of the Torah. So out of obedience, they traveled from Bethlehem into Jerusalem. In um, Galatians, Paul writes, But when the time had fully come, God had sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. So in these verses today, we get a glimpse of three Jewish ceremonies that were part of the Jewish law. Number one is circumcision performed on the eighth day for all male children. Two was purification of childbirth for Mary 40 days after Jesus was born. And three, consecration of the firstborn in recognition that the firstborn son belongs to the Lord. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had even been conceived. So the Jewish ceremony of circumcision on the eighth day after birth represents placing the sign of the covenant on each male child. It was probably performed by the village rabbi, and a benediction would have been said before the circumcision, and the ceremony closed with um, a cup of wine and being prayed over. 
And then at the time of circumcision, the baby receives their name. And in Matthew, we read, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. After childbirth, mothers were considered ceremonially unclean for a period of time. And there was a law in Leviticus that was recorded. A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Just as she is unclean during her monthly period, on the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. I have a map of the, um, the temple and it'll show the gate um, in the green is the court of the women. So the sacrifice for her cleansing was to be offered on the 40th day at the Nicanor Gate. So it doesn't say the name of the gate, but you can kind of see the, the um, symbol up there for one. Bethlehem is only about six miles south of Jerusalem, and so Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem, and so they traveled to the temple for these two ceremonies, Mary's purification and the presentation of Jesus. And the Bible says that they brought a pair of young pigeons or doves because that was all that they could afford. They couldn't afford a lamb. They weren't wealthy people, and Mary and Joseph probably weren't even middle class. And the third and final ceremony mentioned in this passage is the redemption of the firstborn. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So to understand this ceremony, we need a little background. The early Hebrews believed and they obeyed because God said that the firstborn male of animals and humans belonged to God. They were consecrated or holy to God. Consecrated is the Greek word hagios, which means dedicated to God, holy, sacred, reserved for God in God's service. In Exodus, we read where it calls for the dedication of the firstborn. So Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple as their firstborn to be presented to belong to God. Which this is such a tender, precious moment of his parents giving him to God, similar to our baptism or our dedication of babies. But something really cool here is that they were giving him to God, yet he was God. That beautiful moment that even as just a few weeks old, he was fully human and fully God. There is so much in these next verses. I learned so much. Um, but I just as we walk through them, um, I just want to focus on three main things that I think will encourage us as we strengthen our faith. That there are three habits or practices that we can intentionally cultivate in us that will help deepen our walk with Jesus. So if we look again at verse 25, 
At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. Simeon was an aged, godly Jewish man, and he was filled with and led by the Spirit. And he was a man who had received a pretty incredible promise from God that he would not die until the Messiah came. So on the very day that Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple, Simeon knew the Holy Spirit's voice and in obedience went to the temple. In verse 28, we read, Simeon was there and he took the child in his arms. Simeon has this beautiful distinction of being the only person in the Bible named as holding Jesus. Obviously, other people held him too. But old, faithful Simeon has that incredible tagline attached to his name. He took the child in his arms. And he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your, spirit die, your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Simeon is quoting from Psalm 98 and from three prophecies in Isaiah. And they were all fulfilled by that tiny little baby he was holding in his arms. But even more importantly, Simeon is saying, Lord, you have kept your promises to me. Which brings us to our first practice. The habit or the practice of trusting God's promises. All through scripture, we see that God is a faithful, promise-keeping God who calls his people and invites his people in to trusting in those promises. The Bible is full of promises about God's love, about who we are as his people, about how we are to live and what is truly, truly important. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises, and faithful in all he does. As we grow to understand who God is, we will understand better his character, his goodness, his power, his kindness, his might, the depth of his love for us. Trusting in the promises of God starts with trusting God that he is who he says he is. As we begin to trust him in his character and his attributes of who he is, we see that incredible power translating into his movements in our lives. It's when we trust him for who he is and live into trusting the promises that he gives us, that is only when our souls can find true rest. As we trust God for being a faithful, good, and powerful God, we can lean on him to do what he says he's going to do. When we m memorize and meditate God's word, it changes us. To remind ourselves of these truths, to study and understand what they really mean, 
to write them down and commit them to memory so we can remind ourselves of these promises in times of need. I've had times in my life where I've taken a, um, a dry erase marker and written on my mirror um, or tape Bible verses or those promises, hung it over my kitchen sink, where you read them and have it just become a part of the fabric of who you are because sometimes it's really easy to get overwhelmed and um, overcome with life and the hardships and the pain and the trials and the difficulties and to remind ourselves. And sometimes we have to do it over and over and over. And so to use that, memorize it, commit it to your heart so it becomes who you are. Pray over the promises of God. When you are struggling to trust, pray. Pray with scripture. Pray the things of God that who he says he is and what he says he will do for us. It'll help you trust and believe in his goodness. Pray those promises back to him, asking him to do what he says he will do. Remind one another of his promises. We need to be pouring those truths into each other's hearts through the ups and the downs of the journey of life. When someone you love or care about is struggling, absolutely sit with them and be silent. But listen to God's voice encouraging you or what to say, reminding them of those promises. He's trustworthy and he is near. And then continue to seek God wholeheartedly as you wait for him to move in your life. Simeon is there in this story to give us a glimpse of what it's like to live trusting in these promises. He had heard from God that he would be able to see the Messiah. He got to see him. He got to hold the Messiah in his arms Simeon lived his life longing for that moment. And that's the God that Simeon built his life on. The God who never leaves us or forsakes us. The God who is our peace. And the God whose promises never, ever fail. When we can build that practice of trusting God's promises into the fabric of our lives, into who we are, we will know rest and joy too. When we trust the God seen and known in human flesh, we'll find a peace that gives us deep, deep comfort. Like Simeon, we will find the fulfillment that we have longed for. I think a second practice that we can learn from Simeon is the practice of walking by or being led by the Spirit. Being led by the Holy Spirit changes us. When we let the Spirit lead us, our lives will blossom, they will flourish. But if we neglect or refuse his leading, our lives will languish. Being led by the Spirit is walking into this beautiful, beautiful story that he is inviting us into. It's a story where we see him act, where we see him show up in our lives. Simeon shows us what being led by the Spirit looks like. If we take a, let's look at how he came to be in the temple that day. 
Luke 2.27 says, Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. The Spirit spoke to Simeon and basically said, Go into the temple. And Simeon listened. How do we know what we're listening for? In John 10, we read, The sheep hear his voice. I love this passage. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When all the sheep have been gathered, he walks on ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. When we truly know someone, we, we recognize them by their voice. We know their voice. It's calling someone and saying, hey, it's me. Right? That known voice is comforting. It's familiar. And the presence and the voice of the Holy Spirit is comforting and familiar. And it's one of God's most precious gifts that he has for us as his children. He takes up residence within our heart the moment we believe and ask Jesus into our hearts. We have the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And it helps us overcome sin and it helps us to live for the glory of God. Walking by the Spirit is a complete surrender and reliance on him. He leads the way and we follow. As he speaks, we listen and we obey his direction. The Spirit's way is a path of surrender, which it absolutely can be difficult, but it leads to the fullness of life. God's Spirit not only guides us, it empowers us because the challenge of obeying him is impossible on our own strength. The Holy Spirit supplies and gives us everything we need to live a godly life, and the Holy Spirit produces his fruit in us, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we practice walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit and walking with him becomes a part of who we are. As we intentionally seek to be aware of his presence throughout the day, his voice becomes familiar to us. When our minds turn to him, he gives sensitivity to the things of God and understanding about situations and people in your life. Walk with the Spirit and learn to know his voice. Steady your thoughts on him. Spend time in the word. Ask him for his guidance and look expectantly for his leading. Simeon looked expectantly for Jesus and he came. And when he gives it, rely on his power to obey. Simeon listened and he chose to obey. That's how the Spirit guides us. He speaks and we obey. And as a result, Simeon got to hold in his hands the baby who held the world in his hands. Right before we get to the final habit, I want to show you something really beautiful in this passage. Something that shows us just how much God loves his people. Simeon lifts up the baby, he praises God, and then he says something a little bit odd to Mary. He says all these beautiful things, and then he says, and a sword will pierce your soul too. Most theologians believe that it's a prophecy about how it will feel for Mary when Jesus is crucified. 
Perhaps you can picture the crucifixion in your mind's eye. And if you can, who is, who is there watching? His disciple John, right, the soldiers, people from the town, maybe the Pharisees. But there's also a small group of women, including Jesus' mother, Mary, whose soul is feeling pierced watching her son on that cross. Just as we do for our children, Mary has given her whole life for her son. She faced family humiliation with her pregnancy. She was a refugee in Egypt to protect him. She followed Jesus throughout Galilee. She felt the palpable excitement as he headed into Jerusalem. And then suddenly he was crucified. What must she have been thinking? Especially given all those promises about him being the Messiah. If I had been her, I would have been thinking, what is happening? God, where are you? You said this, and this is happening instead. How can, you, how can my son save people if he's dead? My soul would be pierced too. So I just wonder if these words from Simeon are actually God's way of preparing Mary for what was to come 30 years later. Because just a few verses earlier, we read, and I love these words, Mary, too, pondered all of these events, treasuring each memory in her heart. Knowing how fondly I look back at those early days of motherhood with each one of my babies when they came home, I treasure them. And I wonder if in the moments after they brought Jesus to the temple and they went home, if she paused and she wondered at Simeon's words and tucked them away in her heart. Through Simeon, God is saying something. That Jesus' death was always part of the plan. That he had a saving plan for all of us. And if this was our loving Heavenly Father's way of preparing the heart of a devastated mama through the three worst days of her life, Simeon knew God, he knew his heart, he walked in step with the Spirit, and was led to share those words with Mary. The outcome of Simeon's listening to and being led by the Spirit is one of the most tender scenes in Scripture. Simeon enters the temple and found Mary and Joseph with their newborn, and then he cradled that sweet baby Jesus. So if we pick up the story in verse 36, this is when the woman named Anna appears. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Anna immediately recognizes Jesus as the long-awaited Savior and begins to give thanks and praise to God. She was a prophetess. Prophets were righteous people. They shared a deep closeness with God. They were role models who were the standard for godly living. 
Anna's name means favor or grace. When Anna encountered the baby Jesus in the temple, we see how her, her life reflects the meaning of her name, favor and grace. While mentioned in just three verses of the New Testament, all right here in Luke, we get a glimpse of how devout this woman was. Anna was married for only seven years before she became a widow. And she remained a widow for the remainder of her life. The Bible tells us that she was 84 years old when she met Jesus. Can't you just picture like those wrinkled hands? Like I, my great grandma, she had big veins in her hands and I would trace them with my finger and the wrinkles in her face. That was Anna waiting. Um, she spent most of her life without a husband, dedicated her life to the Lord and ministered to others in the temple. And I wonder if the point of sharing her age is to parallel the long years that the Jewish people had waited for their Messiah, that he was this eventual reward, and if that reward and that hope kept her alive and gave her that purpose. After she became a widow, she dedicated her life fully to the Lord. She spent her time worshiping and praying and fasting. So if we look at the practice of prayer, prayer is communion with God, either in our thoughts or spoken word or writing out our prayers. Just as our relationships with our friends and family grow and deepen as we spend time together, time interacting with God deepens our relationship with him. And the more we practice prayer, the more natural our conversation will be with him. The more we get to know his heart and listen to him and freely share ours with him, the more prayer becomes just a part of who we are. Prayer connects us intimately with God to his listening ear. It connects us to his heart for us as well as his, oh, that scared me, um, love, strength, wisdom, comfort. It's a way to express our love, to confess our sins, and to bring our requests to him. Prayer is also a time where we can hear from God. As we pray, the Holy Spirit leads us in our decisions, he comforts us in our sorrows, and he lavishes his love on us. God loves us unconditionally, so we never have to fear and we never have to pretend in our prayer. We don't have to make our prayers fancy. We don't have to make them, make them lovely. They can be one word. They can be angry. They can be any emotion that we're having because he knows that. And he longs for us to be honest with him, with ourselves. He wants us to know him in an intimate way. And we need that quiet time to be alone with God, to rest, to receive direction, to find peace after conflict, and to be loved as only God can love us. Prayer helps us stay hopeful. It gives us strength in the dark times of life. Prayer helps us feel connected to God on a deeper level. It helps us deal with our emotions and our situations. Prayer can help us see things in a different light. It helps us find comfort and peace. Prayer has us develop a deeper relationship with God. It helps us become more compassionate people, seeing people through the eyes of the Father. 
Prayer helps keep our mind and our thoughts clear. I know my mind and thoughts can quickly run away and I can tell myself a story that might not be quite true. But prayer helps us stay steadfast. It helps us intimately know the heart of the Lord. Learning from Anna, we can see how she lived that her life of prayer and worship changed her and it will change us. It'll help us focus, find peace, comfort, strength, purpose, and so much more. Prayer is an important part of growing deeper in our walk with the Lord. Often waiting can be one of the most challenging parts of prayer. I really wish I could pray for what I wanted and I would get it. But that doesn't always happen. But we wait for God because we trust him. We trust those promises that we talked about. We trust that he is who he says he is. In that prayer, we're learning to be led by the Spirit, and we rest in him. As we wait, we can give glory to the one who created us, who formed us, and who communicates with us through his word and through prayer. Anna's life was full of prayer. Intentionally living face-to-face with God, listening to him speak to her, to impart his wisdom to her, waiting for him to fulfill his promises. She must have glowed with the love of God and his light that shone through her. Growing up, um, one of my mom's best friends had this, just this shiny, radiant face. And I thought it was because she washed her face really hard and like used good lotion. But it was because she was filled with the love of God. She walked so intimately with him that who he was shone out of her. Anna was filled with an adoration for God, a constant devotion of worship and prayer. I remind us often that there's nothing we can do to make him love us more. And there's nothing we can do to make him love us less. And I remind you guys that because I need that reminder too. We don't need to do these things to be better. We don't need to do these things to have God love us. There's not this list of things that God says, okay, if you do this, this, and this, then I'm going to love you more. But when we have the heart to do these things, when we have the heart to believe and trust in his promises, to claim those promises over our lives, to speak those promises to the heart of a tired friend, when we desire to know him, to be led by him, to feel his spirit moving inside of us, and to live a life of prayer, that will transform us. It will transform how we interact with other people It will transform how we interact with our emotions and those moments that make up our lives. When we trust in his promises, when we are guided by and led by the Spirit, when we posture our heart toward prayer like Simeon and Anna, we will see Jesus. The God with us in a real and powerful way. And as we intentionally walk out these practices in our lives and cultivate in us these practices, that will deepen our relationship with Jesus. And that changes everything. Will you pray with me?
Father, thank you that you love me and you love us no matter what. Lord, for who we are, the broken parts of us, the thriving parts of us, Lord, we're your children and you call us by name. Father, I pray that we posture our heart to seek your face, to trust in your promises, to deep, dig deep into the word, to find those promises, to breathe life into our souls and, lives into, and um, life into other souls. God, help us trust you enough to be led by you and then be to walk in obedience. Father, I pray that we have hearts to pray to you, to spend time with you. You are faithful and you are good. Mm-hmm.